Well, again, good morning and welcome to our gathering online. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here. And wherever you're joining us from, whether it's your couch, your living room, or your kitchen, or maybe your back porch, welcome. We are one church gathered in hundreds of locations across not only the state, but across the world. And I'm just glad you're here. Hey, listen, we're rolling into a very special week. This is the beginning of Holy Week which stretches from Palm Sunday, which is today, until Easter Sunday next week. And this is the week where we celebrate what Christ did by dying on a cross, being buried in a tomb, and being raised from the dead. And so I want to give you just three things that are happening this week, and then we're going to dive into today's teaching from Mark chapter 11. First thing I want you to know is that on Wednesday of this week, we're going to have our online prayer time at 12 noon. Wednesday, 12 noon, on Facebook Live and Instagram Live as well. So join us. We're going to take live prayer requests. We're going to pray together. It's going to be a great time, 12 noon on Wednesday. Then on Friday of this week at 7 p.m., we're going to do something I think is going to be just really fun and really powerful. We're going to have a Good Friday gathering. Now, I'm not calling it a service because it's not a typical worship service. Rather, it is about 45 minutes of reflecting on what Christ did and how His sacrifice changed the world. And then next Sunday, join us for Easter at 1045. It's going to be a great time. And be sure to invite a friend. Post it on social media. Let people know how they can participate in the most important moment in human history. Now, I want to begin this morning with something I saw actually uh, happen last week. Many of you know what I'm about to talk about, that your schools... Um, because of the social distancing thing, many of our schools, the teachers are having these teacher parades that go through the different neighborhoods of the school system. That way the students can see their teachers and know, hey, we're not alone. So in fact, last week, uh, the Middle Valley elementary teachers did that through our neighborhood, and it just was a ball. Take Take a look at the video. I love that so much. And I want to take you today to one of the greatest parades in all of human history. It happened not in your neighborhood, but on a dusty road leading into the city of Jerusalem around the year 30 or 33 AD. And let me sort of set the stage. This is found in Mark chapter 11. I'd invite you to turn there in your Bibles. But let me set the stage for us. Jesus is coming to the very end of his three-year ministry. He's been traveling around the Palestinian area, around Israel and Samaria. And he has been teaching and healing and bringing people to know who God is and that God loves them. And he's been bringing along with him his disciples or followers. And now he is entering into the last week of his earthly ministry in life as he enters into Jerusalem. Now, what you need to know is Jesus has told them many times, guys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be arrested and executed, although I'm innocent. And they just don't get it at all. They just kind of miss the boat. And so he says, but don't worry, on the third day, I will rise again. 
And so Jesus, on the way into Jerusalem, he's getting ready, he's getting prepped, and he keeps telling them, this is what's going to happen. Now, one other detail you need to know before we read this text is that hundreds of years before this moment, there was a prophet named Zechariah. You say, what's a prophet? A prophet is someone who hears from God and speaks for God. Someone who hears from God and speaks for God. And Zechariah, speaking for God, foretells that one day there would be a man who is not just any ordinary man, but he was the man, the man of God who had come in riding on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem. And he would be the king of kings of kings of kings. And so now we're about to see that moment unfold in Mark chapter 11. Look what it says in verse 1. As Jesus and his disciples approached the city of Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them, that's two of his disciples, on ahead. He said, go into that village over there. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Now, jump down to verse 7. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut off in the field. Jesus was in the center of the procession. So again, Jesus and his crew roll up to the edge of town. He tells a few of his followers, go get me a donkey, one that has never been ridden. They bring the donkey, he hops on it, and he comes in to the city of Jerusalem. And when people see Jesus, they remember the words of Zechariah and they just go crazy. They begin to run up and they lay down their cloaks and they begin to cut off branches. In fact, Another eyewitness to this moment, a man named John, writes in the gospel according to John that it wasn't just a few people, but it was a huge crowd. They come racing out to see Jesus. And I've got to say, while I may not be a party and parade expert, I think this is a pretty good parade. Now, I want you to notice in verse 8, this is the key verse in the entire section that we're going to look at. Notice what it says again. Many in the crowd spread their garments, number one, and leafy branches. They laid down two things, their garment and leafy branches. Other translations say palm branches, their coats and their palm branches. Now, garments, another translation for that is just the idea of a cloak or an outer coat. Um, They took off their garments and they spread them on the road. Palm branches were important because they were the symbol of the nation of Israel, similar to how we have certain symbols for America, such as the bald eagle and the national flag. So they were literally taking the symbol of their nation and laying it down before Jesus so he would walk on it. Now, this is huge. Why did they lay down their coats and their branches? Because it was their way of showing honor to Jesus. Why did they lay down their coats and their branches? Because they were saying, we trust you. Why did they lay down their coats and their branches? They were saying, Jesus, you are the true king. You're the one who will liberate us to save us. You are the man. It was their way of rolling out the red carpet to Jesus. Now, during this time, if you were a king or a queen, people would lay down branches. They would lay down their coats as a symbolic way of saying, you are the king. You are the ruler. Now, listen to one more thing. At this time also, for many people, their coat was their most prized possession. It was their everything. In fact, for many people, it was the sole 
warmth that they had at night. It's very cool in the Middle East, and that would be the thing they would use to keep warm. There was an Old Testament law that said if someone owes you money and you hold on to their coat as uh, collateral, give it back at night because they get cold. So to lay down your coat, it was everything. It was the thing that they treasured. It was the thing they trusted. It was the thing that protected them, and they take it off, and they lay it down before Jesus, this is such a powerful scene. And one other little detail here. Um, When they do this, they do it gladly. Do you notice that? No one compels them, but they say, here, I've got this. I give it. I lay it down. Now, here's the question. I want to make this incredibly practical. What does this mean for us? What does it mean for us to lay down our coats and our branches before Jesus? What does it mean to lay down what we value? And I know sometimes when we talk about these things, it sounds so very churchy, so I'm trying to strip away all the churchy language. I want to be really, really practical here. What does this mean? To lay something down simply means to give it up or let go of it. To lay something down means to give it up or to let go of it. To lay something down is to let Jesus know, Jesus, this is yours. I'm giving up this specific thing. It's yours. I'm giving up this area of my life. I'm giving up this area of control. I'm giving up this desire. I'm giving up all of this. I'm handing it over to you. Every part of who I am, I lay down to you. And so today we're going to look at two things to lay down before Jesus. Just two things. There's a lot more we could look at, but I want us to focus on two. Here's the first one. Number one, we are to lay down our desires. We are to lay down our desires. Lay down our five-year plan. Lay down the thing that we think will make us so happy. Now, what you need to know is in this day, Israel was not a free nation. Israel was under the boot heel of the Roman Empire. Rome had spread and covered most of the known world by this point. A couple details. By this point in history, Rome spread from England to Africa, from Syria to Spain. One in four people living were under Roman rule. And Rome maintained control by conquering people. And the way they did this was through heavy taxation, through fear, through huge armies and quick and brutal executions of anyone who would rebel against them. The people of Israel desired a king. So when Jesus shows up, they take off their coats, they cut down the branches, and they're saying, Jesus, you come in, you save us, be our king. But notice Jesus is not the king that they think he's going to be. You know, sometimes when we read ahead and we see that this very same crowd is calling for his execution just a few days later, it's in part because their desires were not met by Jesus in the way that he thought they thought they ought to be. So this is very, very important. Jesus is a king, but he's a different kind of king. In fact, notice this. God rarely gives us what we desire. Instead, he gives us what we need. The first thing, I want you to know this, that God rarely gives us what we desire, but he always gives us what we need. And I got to tell you, thank God that he gives us what we need versus what we just desire. I I think back to some of the prayers that I prayed in sixth grade. Do you remember any of the prayers you prayed? Oh, God. No, No, sixth grade. Oh, God, please give her to me. She will complete me. And here I am years later. I'm so glad that God did not fulfill the prayers of a sixth grade boy. How about you? 
I mean, how many prayers have we prayed that we said, God, if you just do this for me, if you just give me this one thing, everything would be okay. But laying down our coats, laying down our cloak, laying down our comfort is to say, God, I lay down my desires. I love what Paul, one of the followers of Jesus, writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We don't know what was going on exactly, but he said that he was faced with this thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what that was exactly. But the thorn in the flesh, he, he begs God. Maybe it was his eyesight. Some people think he had bad eyesight. Other people say no, it was a malady, a physical condition. Who, who knows? But he was so overwhelmed by this, he begged God. He pleaded with God on three separate intense occasions that God would take away whatever this was. And I just got to stop here. Is there something that you're begging God for right now? Is there a marriage that you've been saying, God, help, 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 help? Is there a relationship? I know for many of us, it's a scary time because of this virus or because of work or because of whatever. Is there something that you're just saying, God, I need this, I need this, I need this, and you want and you need, and you say, it's my desire, and it's so, so important. Paul knows what that's like, and he begged God. And he says, though, that three times, three seasons, he prayed intently, and three times, three seasons, God did not give him what he wanted. And in fact, God didn't simply not give him what he wanted. God didn't even tell Paul why. And yet, Paul writes these words that I found so much comfort in. In verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes, but he, this is talking of God, but he said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, God did not give Paul what he desired, but God promised to give Paul everything he needed. Why does God rarely give us what we desire, but always what we need? It's because God loves you. Why does God give us not always what we desire, but he always gives us what we need? It's because God cares for you. Why does God rarely give us what we desire, but always what we need? It's because God is a good father who knows you, who loves you, who's there for you. It is because he is good that he does this. He is a heavenly father who knows and cares for his kids. This is why Jesus himself said, why do you worry? Our Savior, Jesus, who is facing a cross, asks us, why do we worry? You're constantly worrying about stuff, Joshua. You're constantly worrying about stuff, my friend. You're worried about what you'll eat and what you'll wear. You're worried about tomorrow. And Jesus says, why do you worry? Why is this overwhelming you? Don't you know you have a heavenly Father who knows all that you need and will give you what you need? I was reminded of this heart. Um, Just a few days ago, my sister Mary, who is one of my absolute heroes, she's a nurse in another city that is facing a lot more corona patients, coronavirus patients, than we are yet here in the city of Chattanooga. And she's been working in that unit. And so I've been checking in to say, how are you doing? What's going on? And, and, and she said something that just kind of blew my mind. She said, you know, I don't want to get this virus. I'm not looking to get this virus. She said, but I'm not nervous about it. I'm not worried. And I said, well, well tell me why. What's, what's going on? And she said, well, Joshua... I have a heavenly father who loves me, who knows me, who has good things for me. And no matter what happens here, I know where I am ultimately going. Here's the reality. 
to lay down our coat, to lay down our branches, is to say to Jesus, God, I lay down my desires and I trust you that you are good even when I don't know why certain things happen the way they do. Here's the reality. You will never find peace as long as you hold on to what you desire. You will never pick up the peace you need so long as you never let go of what you're holding on to. We've got to get to a point where we say, God, I'm laying down this particular relationship. It's yours. Father, I'm laying down my five-year plan. It's yours. Jesus, I'm laying down my future. I'm laying down my bank account. I'm laying down my health. I'm laying it down. It is yours. The things I hold on to for my happiness and my security, I'm laying down for you. And listen, I know, guys, this is a scary thing to do. It's a dangerous-sounding thing to do. But here's the reason it is so important. If you know the God that you serve, then you know He is a good God who gives us what we need. Now, that's the first thing. The second thing that we lay, the first thing we lay down is we lay down our desires. But the second thing we lay down, according to this, is we lay down our control. We lay down control. Now, here's the reality. On that day, at that Palm Sunday parade, the crowd was making this crazy, bold statement. When they said to Jesus, when they called out to Jesus, Hosanna, they were saying, save us. That word Hosanna means save now. It was a big claim. And to lay down palm branches, to lay down their coats, that's what you would do for a king or for royalty. And in that world, the only royalty was Rome. The only king was Caesar. So to claim another to be king was a wildly dangerous thing. If Rome found out you could be tried, you could be executed on a Roman cross. After all, you were claiming someone else was sovereign. And yet the people say, we lay it down. Jesus, you're in control. Caesar's not in control. Jesus, you are in control. The coronavirus is not in control. Jesus, you are in control. Now listen, I know saying Caesar is not in control means nothing to us. We are so blessed to live in a free nation where we get to elect our leaders and we have rights that they never had. But here's the reality. Although we're separated by 2,000 years, we are still the very same because although we may not be controlled by Caesar, we each have a little Caesar in our hearts. We all have this internal drive to be our own boss. Every one of us is a little control freak inside. But the reality is Jesus, not I, is in control of all things. Have you ever met a control freak? Have you ever met someone who has to be in control? Let's just do this. If you're with someone else in that room, go ahead and just take a moment. Look at someone else in your living room. Maybe it's a child or a spouse or, you know, Tim right now is looking back and forth at me. And, and so go ahead and look at them and then just very graciously say, you are a control freak. Go ahead. Bless the person with you. Now, didn't that feel good? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at that person again and now say, don't worry. I'm also a control freak. See, the reality is every one of us wants to control and manage our own lives the way we see fit. You say, Josh, I don't believe it. I don't buy it. I'm not a control freak. I will prove to you that we're all little control freaks. When this virus began to spread across countries, 
What did we all do in response? Well, let me tell you what one couple did that I saw in the news. This one couple bought over 2,000 rolls of toilet paper. They went to the store, they bought it out. It's this idea that if I can't control one thing, I will make sure that I control something else. Now, I do not want to know what they think the coronavirus causes you to do. But the fact is, you and I have seen how people have gone absolutely bonkers, buying up everything. Why? Because when we feel out of control, we do whatever we can to get back in control. Well, if I just have more stuff, then I'll be in control. If I barricade myself in my home, then I'll be in control. Uh, Maybe it's not even that. Maybe if I'm just smart enough, I'll be in control. If I have a good enough job, I'll be in control. If I am pretty enough, I will be in control. If I have the right connections, I'll be in control. We all want to be in control. But here's the reality. In Scripture, you will never find anyone, even those who follow Jesus. By the way, we do this as well. But in Scripture, you will never find a Jesus follower who comes up to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, you follow me. No. Every time Jesus comes up to us and says, I'll lead, you follow me. Jesus says to each of us, if you want to be my followers, you lay down your life and follow me. Peter, you lay down your nets, your job. Andrew, you lay down your nets, your job. Levi, you know your status as a tax collector and what it's given to you. You lay that down. You come follow me. And today Jesus is saying, if you want what I've got, you lay down what you are holding on to, the control that you think you need. You follow because we don't follow or we don't lead Jesus. We follow him. And to be honest, the reason I know that we all struggle with this is because we all worry. But Jesus says, Why do you worry about tomorrow? Here's the thing. I cannot control tomorrow, but I can trust the one who does. So, quick question. Why should we lay down everything? I mean, that's really the question here, isn't it? Why should we lay down what we have? Here's why. When we lay down everything, we find everything. When we lay down everything, we find everything. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 39. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What is the it Jesus is talking about? It's everything. It's whatever you desire, you need, you hope for, you want. He says, if, this, if you are looking for life, you lay down your desires, you lay down your control. And Jesus says, I will exchange that for something that you actually need. And the one who caused the cosmos to come into being says, I will take care of what you need. So, so here's the big question. Where, where are you this morning? Like if we were to step back into that moment at the parade in Jerusalem, where would you find yourself? And I'm not asking for you to feel guilty or shame or beaten up. I just want us to honestly evaluate where would we be in that place? Would you be out on the distant hill or away from the crowd watching the parade? Maybe you'd say, I'm a Christian Kind of. I, I show up sometimes. I'm, I, I'm a part of the body. Eh, not really. I'm on the distant hill. I'm, I'm on the sidelines. And again, I'm not trying to beat you up, but would you just be honest enough to admit where you are today? Or maybe you'd say, well, I'm a skeptic. And by the way, if you are a skeptic, you're just not so sure about this God and you've somehow stumbled across this broadcast today. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We've been praying that you would find this place at this time. 
But would you say that's where you are? Or maybe you'd say, no, that's not me, but maybe you're right up close next to the parade. As Jesus walks by, you just can't get close enough to him for you. You just want to be closer. And maybe you get close and close, but, but you're still holding on to your coat. You say, Jesus, I want to be with you. I love you. You're great. You're awesome. But I don't think I can let go of this. I don't know that I can trust you with my career. I don't know that I can trust you with my finances. I don't know that I can trust you with my health or my relationships. I don't know that I can trust you with the bottle or this addiction. I don't know. Is that where you are today? Or or maybe you're at that place where whenever you see Jesus coming, you run to him and you're just tearing off your coat and you're throwing it down saying, Jesus, take it. Whatever I have, it's yours. I trust you. I need you more than my own control. I need you more than my own desires met. Where are you today? Would you at this very moment even just say, God, show me where I am. And he will not to beat you up, but to bless you and to help you step where you need to go. In fact, that's the big question now, isn't it? Here's the big challenge of the day. Wherever you are, will you take one step closer to Jesus? Wherever you are, will you just take one step closer to Jesus? If you're out on the hill, if you're distant from Jesus, will you simply step closer and be right there next to it? You can hold on to what you've got if you need to, but just take that step. And if you're right there next to Jesus, but you're still holding on, would you take the step of saying, Jesus, I give to you, I lay down my control and my desire. Will you just take a next step? Because here's what we do know about Jesus. A God who will send his own son to die for you, will never ask of you anything except that which will ultimately bless you. It is out of love that he calls us. It is out of love that he says, lay down whatever you're carrying. Lay it down. I don't know what you need to lay down this morning, but we're going to pray and I want to invite you to pause and to clear your mind and just take inventory for a moment here. And consider what is it that you need to lay down? What is your next step? Father God, as we come to a close this morning, I ask that you would meet each person where they are. I pray that you would meet that mom right now in the living room, that you would hold her hand, that you'd show her that you love her and that you have good things for her. And would you now encourage her to just lay down what it is she's holding on to? Father, we pray for that student who is so frustrated because they're not enjoying their senior year. Would you come and meet them where they are today and let them lay that down? Father, for the father, the parent who's saying, I don't know how I'm going to care for these kids, for my wife, for my spouse in this season. Would you just invite them to lay down their worry, to lay it down at your feet and say, I can't, but you can. Father, would you please meet each person here today where they are? And Father, I pray that wherever we are, we would take our next step and that we would lay down what it is we're carrying, knowing that you are able to take it up for us. We love you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. But wherever you are today, just know that we love you. If we can serve you in any way, feel free to reach out to us at office at clearcreekcoc.org or at the church number, and we will reach back. We love you. God bless you this week. See you later.